Father, send us your spirit and teach us your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I have a Doug, can you get me a Bible, please? Morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Simon, one of the ministers here, and uh, it's my pleasure to share with you today some thoughts about intercessions. And this is the next step in a series we're doing, uh, looking at what happens when we gather together in church, when we worship together as a community. What are the things that we do? Why do we do them? And how do we do them? And we've come this morning to think about intercessions. And there we go, it's on the screen. Now, I've got a few questions that are on my mind that I'm going to try and answer, and I'll just lead you through my thoughts on these. I've got things like, what is intercession? Um, What's happening in the intercessions? Um, Why do we do it together? Um, And what pleases God about it? if anything. So those are my questions, uh, and we'll see what answers we can find. You may have other questions of your own um, that I'm not going to cover, but, uh, well, what you could do is, the trick is if you stay on for the 11.30 and you could tell me what your question is in between the two services, and if you're lucky, and if you're good, um, I, might, I might answer it in the 11.30 service, but I might not. Anyway, here we go. So the first thing to say, what are intercessions? Is this going to work, Richard? There, oh, yeah, it's working, great. I can remember as a child not really understanding the word intercession very well and being a bit confused by it because I only knew one other word that remotely sounded like it, and that was at the cinema when there was an intermission <laughs> between the, uh, the trailer and the main feature. Um, And those got a bit confused in my mind, so it kind of felt like when we got to the intercessions at church, you know, it was was a bit of a pause, it was a gap between the things that were really going on, and sadly we didn't get ice cream, but that was what it seemed to be about, and I didn't really understand it. So let's just try and make sure we know what the word means. Um, Now, the, the link between those two words is the inter bit, and you may well know that inter means being in between, going between two different things or places. So the, the intercity train is the train that goes between two cities. So the inter bit is the going between two things, two people. And so um, intercession is going between God and the needs of the world. To intercede is to ask God on behalf of others, okay? We are asking God to meet the needs and respond to the needs of the wider world, whatever that may be. Now, we most likely will include some prayers for ourselves as well as part of that because, you know, we have our own needs too and we need to ask for those. Um, But the focus is on the needs of others. And this is something which we are exhorted to do in Scripture, So from the reading that we've just had, that John read to us from Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes, um, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, 
present your requests to God. So whatever might cause you anxiety, or does cause you anxiety, whatever needs you have, whatever concerns you have about the needs of others, it is right and proper that we should bring those to God. We should express them to God and ask God for whatever it is we think might be appropriate. So, there's a, I don't know whether Cynthia's going to use it this morning or not. I haven't primed her. <laughs> no pressure. Um, sometimes intercessions can be introduced in church with this phrase, let us pray to the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Spirit. And that conveys that sense of us reaching out to God, using the access that we have to God through his Son, Jesus Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to work within us and express something of God's own heart to ask for those things to be met. So that's what intercession is. It's asking God on behalf of other people. What is happening when we intercede? What are we doing? Um, who's involved? I've got some diagrams here, I hope. Is this Richard? Is this clicker work? Am I doing this? No, it's not working, okay. <laughs> You're doing a very good job of making me think that it's working. <laughs> You're watching my finger carefully, aren't you? Okay. So, um, <clears throat> you, there's no image for God. So, I've just, this is God, okay, because God is high and lifted up and hidden in clouds of darkness. We do not see God. So cloud represents God. So there's God on the one hand, and here are some people in the world who have their various needs. And our job as intercessors is to, as it were, reach out and join those together. To stand between God and those people who need help. And to link them up. And there's a fantastic image of that that comes from uh, the Old Testament. A couple of times in the Old Testament, an image is used, and the phrase is, standing in the gap. To stand in the gap and pray on behalf of others. And the image there is that there is a gap, as it were. Because God is high and lifted up and and, uh, holy and transcendent and far removed from the nitty-gritty of mortal life, There's a gap between God and the needs, the desperate needs of people all over the place. And our role is to go between, to hold them together, to reach out, to be concerned for people and to reach out to God and cry to God and say, God, will you do something about this? Please help these people. Please help this situation. Please help this place, whatever it may be. So there's a little image, pictorially, of what's happening when we intercede. And in doing that, there's a sense in which we are mobilising God to act. We are mobilising God to act in response to the needs that we lay before God. Now that immediately begs the question, why isn't God just doing it anyway? Why do we need to do that? Surely God knows about these things. Why on earth do we have to spend our time sort of asking God to do something about it? I've been puzzling over that this week, and I'm not sure I can give a simple answer. 
But here's something that's struck me. Pop your hand up if you've ever said to anyone else, oh, let me know if I can help. Oh, a lot of people, okay. Um, let, put, pop your hand up if you've ever said to someone else, you should have told me. <laughs> okay, there we go. Right, most, that applies to most, if not all of us. There's something innate about the way we relate to one another that we want to help, we want to be involved, and that necessarily involves communicating those needs, being asked to help. It almost feels impertinent to kind of jump in and help without being asked, even if the need is evident. We want to be asked, we want to help. And maybe there's something in that which gives some clue as to the way in which God wants us to relate to God. That in the same way, God wants to be asked. That God is the one who is saying to us all the time, let me know if I can help. That there's a sense of genuine relationship that depends on the expression of need. That God isn't just someone who jumps in and ignores us and pays no attention to us, but God wants to relate to us and interact with us and share our heartfelt concerns. And God wants us to know that the things that God does is a response to our request and is an outworking of that relationship. That it's not just, God's not just like a slot machine that things happen automatically. You're guessing now, aren't you? Well, <laughs> I haven't got there yet, but it doesn't matter, don't worry. Um, <laughs> we're back to the gap. We practiced, we tried using this, and it worked beforehand but with my remote control, but it's not working now. So I think that that's what's happening. We are mobilizing God to act, and it matters that we do so, that God actually wants to hear what our needs are, that it's appropriate to express them to God. Let, let, me, let me tell a little story which illustrates this point. We're in, for this story, we're in the United States of America. It's at the end of the war. There's a soldier who's in a bad way. He was injured. Um, he can't walk very well. Um, he lost all of his family in the war and his property. He's, he's destitute. As a result of the mix-up, things going wrong, as things always do in war with paperwork, um, he's receiving no support, no compensation, no military pension. He's at his wit's end. He doesn't know who to turn to. He's got nothing to help him. He walks for days to get to Washington, D.C., just in this light glimmer of hope that maybe, just maybe, he can find someone in some position of authority who can help him. And he gets there and he dumps himself down on a bench outside the White House. So close to those in authority and yet completely cut off from them by all the security measures. And after a while, um, a young girl who's playing in the park comes and sits down with him, and she's sort of sucking on a lollipop. And 
you know, she notices him and in her naive and innocent childish way says to him, oh, you look tired. And he says, yeah, I, I am. I'm really tired. And they get talking and she continues to ask her innocent childlike questions about what's going on and why he's there. And he explains to her in as best he can in an appropriate way for a child that he's in terrible need and that he's hoping that someone can help him. And the little girl gets up, she smiles at him, and she says, oh, you should come with me, and starts walking off. And obviously he, he feels very awkward, this, it doesn't seem right at all. But she turns around and she says, no, no, come with me, come with me. So he sort of follows along at a respectable distance, limping away with his big bag on his back. And uh, she walks around to the gates to the White House, and there's the sentry boxes there, and all the guards are there. And um, he assumes that she's just going to walk past, but she walks in through the gateway, and all the guards ignore her. And he, he hesitates. He's not sure what to do, but she turns around and beckons him. So he walks through the gateway, and the guards ignore him as well. And he doesn't understand what's going on, but he thinks, well, I've come this far, so I'm just going to carry on now. So they go all the way down the drive, they get to the colonnade, they get to the big front doors of the White House. The security service are there, both on the outside and on the inside. And the doors open, and this little girl walks into the White House. And he takes a deep breath. He expects to be accosted at any moment, but he follows her, and he just walks in. And at this point, he thinks he must be hallucinating or having a dream or something. He thinks he's probably fallen asleep on the park bench, but he just carries on anyway. And the girl keeps walking. She goes down the long corridors, passing other people. They all ignore her. He keeps following her. They get to this big door. She walks in, and it's the Oval Office. And the President of the United States is sitting there behind his desk. And she goes straight up to him, and she says, Dad... There's someone here who needs your help. Dad, there's someone here who needs your help. That's what we are doing when we intercede. Through the gift of the Son of God, through Jesus, we have access to the Father, the one who has all the authority, the one who has the power, the one who can make a difference, the one whose role it is to maintain justice and integrity, and to care for the needs of everyone, to uphold righteousness. And we can go to our Father in heaven and say, Dad, there are people here who need your help. That's what we're doing when we intercede. Why do we do it all together? Here we are, we're all together now, standing in the gap reaching out and joining up the needs of the world with the God who can meet those needs. Why do we do it all together? I mean, surely we're all Christians, we all know Jesus, we all have access to the Father, we can do that on our own. What difference does it make to do it together? Again, I was chewing this over in the week. Um, I think there are things, not just in the physical realm, in the normal course of life, there are things that we can do together that we can't do on our own. If you imagine something heavy, one person can't lift it, three or four people together can lift it. There are things that we can do together that we can't do on our own. Maybe that's the case 
in the realm of intercession and in the realm of relationships. Let's, let's play with that image a little bit of children going to their father or their mother or someone in authority. Um, have you ever come across it when children get together, they decide that they know what they want and they make a delegation? They write out their demands and they, you know, so you get a whole group of children you know, at school or, or, uh, or in a family or whatever and they go to the right person and they say, we, we are a delegation <laughs> and we think there should be more orange juice at breakfast, <laughs> you know. And they're all, they're all doing it together. They're all in unison, and they, you know, they, they've written it out you know, on, a, on a piece of paper, and they present it. And it's kind of, oh, it's almost impossible to resist, isn't it? How can you not say yes when all the children get together and are in complete unison and have a simple, straightforward request that they make? If it was just one child, can I have some more orange juice at breakfast, please? Then the parent, the teacher, whatever, might be much more inclined to sort of come up with some reason why, well, yeah, maybe I'll think about it, or, well, it might not be good for you, it might affect your teeth, or something like that. But if all the children get together, it so pulls at the heart that it's almost impossible to resist. Maybe there's just something like that going on when we come before our Father in heaven together as a group, when we make a delegation, when we agree what it is that we want God to do. And just in passing, as we're, as we're here, if you can click now, Richard, there we go. I just want to say something about what's happening um, in practical terms in this context here and what's going to happen later on. So Cynthia's going to lead us in intercession this morning. And the key thing that I hope we all understand and can engage with is that Cynthia will be leading us all as we all pray together. It's not an intermission, okay? The intercessions are not when we stop doing something, stop listening, you know, stop whatever, while some, one person at the front says some prayers. Rather, we are all praying together. Cynthia, or whoever it may be, is leading us. She's going to give us the words and the prompts, the ideas to what to pray about. But the idea is that we all do it together, we are all praying. It can be quite hard work. It's not something to switch off from, to really take seriously, to listen to what we're being asked to pray for and to reach out to God in our hearts and our minds. It's quite demanding stuff, in a way. It's not when you get a rest. It could be the hardest part of the service for us. We're all doing it together. We're all in that middle group, standing in the gap, reaching out to the world, reaching out to the God and allowing the person at the front to lead us and prompt us in the way in which we do that. Jesus himself effectively encouraged us to pray together. And I'll just look up the key text here. So speaking to his disciples about prayer, Jesus says, I tell you, if two or three of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. So Jesus clearly sees there being 
great significance in our gathering together, in our praying together, that transcends, that goes beyond anything that happens when we pray as individuals, which, of course, we can do as well. So we're encouraged to pray together, to use our access to the Father in order to mobilise God to meet the needs of the world. Let's click on, Richard, I can't even remember. Click on, I've done that one. (laughs) Keep going. I'm going to miss that one out, keep going. We've done that one. There we go. And one more, I think. Yeah, keep going. Right, let's finish with this one. Okay. Um, Question that we're asking as we we consider different aspects of our worship together is to say, what pleases God? What, What is, in what ways might our worship, when we gather together, be pleasing to God? Why might it be pleasing, or how might it be pleasing to God that we offer intercessions together? that we join together in pleading to God on behalf of the needs of the world. Here are a couple of thoughts. The first one is that we are acknowledging our dependency on God. As we do so, as we bring the requests to God for the needs of the world, we're acknowledging the fact that we are dependent on God. So we are enacting a right relationship with God. God is the one who is sovereign, and we depend on God for every aspect of our lives, and we're acknowledging that. The second one, and I've borrowed a quotation that I found in a book by Richard Foster, although I don't think it's his own. He quotes it from someone else. Love wants to be asked for what it longs to give. Love wants to be asked for what it longs to give. Just play with that in your mind for a moment. Imagine, who, who do you love? What would you like to do or to give that person? And how does it feel if that person asks you for what you already would like to give to them? Is that not a good feeling? Because it validates what you want to give, And it enriches the relationship. And so God, in love, wants to be asked for what it longs to give. And I think the final point that might please God about our intercession is if we are able to persist. Because this, again, is something which Jesus encourages us and positively teaches us to do. In teaching about intercession, Jesus told his disciples a story about a widow who needed something from a judge in her town and who basically nagged the judge until she got what she needed. And Jesus taught his disciples, this is how it should be for you. Do not lose heart, but always persist in prayer. So we are positively encouraged to not just ask once or twice, but to keep on asking and not to lose heart. To keep our eyes fixed on the king of all creation in whose hands are every need. And so it pleases God, I think, 
as we persist, as we choose to take our needs and the needs of the whole world to God, to acknowledge our dependency on God, and to mobilize God in our relationship with God to meet those needs. So let's finish that, and we'll just put the last slide up, um, and we'll leave this up, I think, as Cynthia leads us, if that's okay. Um, Just that little phrase to remind us of what's going on now, what we're doing as we pray. We are saying, Dad, there's someone here who needs your help. 